we are on. Okay, and uh, we have been going through this past year the subject of knowing God, knowing God. Probably the most important topic that we could we could ever discuss, and we have taken a long time to go through it to begin analyzing it. But knowing God, the quest to know God, begs a question, and that question is, who is God? Who is God? And even a more important question than who is God would be, who is God to you? Many people could answer the question, who is God? And they would answer it in a multitude of ways. But God desires to have a personal relationship with each one of us. And so the question really is, more importantly, who is God to you? You can give me a theological answer to who is God. He's the creator of the universe. He's sovereign. He's the, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. He's the one who breathed the breath of life into us. But who is he personally to you? We have considered who God is through this past months, looking at his existence and his exclusiveness. We've looked at his comp- constitution. We've looked at um, his, I mean, his composition and his attributes. But today I want to look at probably one of the most profound aspects of God, um, being that it is Father's Day as well, and that is that God is our Abba. God is our Father. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, then God is your Daddy. He's your Father. And to me, to Bob, that is probably the most profound um, concept that there ever could be. That the God who created the heavens and the earth is not just my God, the Lord is my shepherd, but that he wants a tightness with me, that he wants the closeness of a relationship with me, that it would be described as my father, my dad, my Abba, my daddy. And so, as we go into this Father's Day and we consider this, we want to look at knowing God as, as our Father. And my challenge to you as we come through this um, is, first of all, is he? Is he really your Father? That's a concept of salvation. But even within that then, I'm talking about an intimacy and proximity of a relationship. Do you really see him as your dad? as your daddy. Not the earthly daddy, and we'll talk about this maybe a little bit more scattered here and there. Not your earthly daddy, because a lot of times we, we see God in the way that we see our earthly father. But we need to understand that God is the ultimate, perfect father. And as we have spent the last couple weeks, last month and a half, two months, looking at God's holiness and God's love and God's faithfulness, hopefully the picture that we've seen even so far in these moral attributes puts a great shadow over any of our earthly fathers. I mean, I understand that my kids are sitting here and and I say the same thing, that I am of no great reflection. And so this week, even at the Home Depot, I was going to make a return and um, I had all my, re- my, my receipts there for all the things that we were returning. And the, the clerk says, boy, you're awesome. And I said, no, God is awesome. And I'm just a very 
poor reflection. And it's a true statement. God is awesome. And as a father, God is awesome. And on earth, we have very poor reflections. No matter how good of a father or bad of a father you have, he is nowhere near the reflection that your heavenly father is. Do you see God as your father? As such, then, we read earlier from Romans 8. Turn back to Romans 8. Because in the, in the book of Romans... Romans 8, 8 to 17 is where we looked at when um, we read 1 to 17 for our, our scripture reading. But in Romans 8, 8 to 17, we read this concept of where we can call God our Abba Father, and we're going to see it elsewhere as well. But here in this passage in Romans 8, we are told as well that we cry out Abba Father to God because we have been given the privilege of sonship. And in this passage, verses 8 to 17. I'm going to read them again, just for um, our remembrance, and then we're going to be looking at other passages as well. We see three phases of this sonship. We're going to see the process of sonship, of becoming a son of God. We're going to see the evidence of sonship, and then we're going to see the benefit of sonship as well. But beginning of verse 8, we read, So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the, if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, who is that the Spirit of God, right? Who raised Jesus from the dead, dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God. And joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together, and if you would, together with him. Now, as we look at this, we want to be looking as well at Galatians chapter 4, which we'll read in just a moment which also talks about our adoption and the fact that we can cry out, Abba, Father. But that process of adoption, or process of becoming a son, is through that process of, of adoption. How is it that we can become a child of God? How is it to become sons of God? Well, it's through adoption. Now, we need to understand some concepts of this where we're being adopted by that. And so... Let's read Galatians 4 right now, okay, and bring this in, and let's talk about what these passages declare regarding our adoptions. First, Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. Verse 1 says, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. 
Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you were sons, God has sent forth the Son, sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. And to turn to Ephesians 1, it might be just a page or two for you in your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 1, beginning at verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He has chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, by which He has made us accepted in the Beloved. Turn back to, to the book of John, chapter 1. beginning of verse 10. We're speaking of the word here with the he. Okay, that's our antecedent. The word was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came, into his, came unto his own, and his own did not receive him. But to as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now, each of these passages talk about how we have been given the privilege to be called or to become the children of God, sons of God. We'll look at 1 John 3 in a few moments as well. But we are told that the process of becoming the Son of God was through the concept of adoption. Now, understand that there are two steps in the adoption phase. Even here on the earth, there are two steps of adoption. The first is that the parent or the the one who is, is the adoptive parent, has to make the decision to do what? Adopt the child. But in most situations, is adoption a free option? No, it costs money. And so we see in Scripture, the same thing holds true, that God, in this process of adoption, that God redeems. That God, if you remember through Galatians 4 and how we looked at this, God sent forth His Son into the world to redeem us, to purchase us, to buy us back. That God has paid, if you would, the adoption price for us to become His. But even in the physical realm, there is a part where the child has to receive or accept the adoption himself. Now, understand if a child is, is too young, the child is not given that privilege. However, in the United States, throughout the United States, different states have different rules, but all states, 40, I'm sorry, 49 out of 50 states, require a child beginning at the age of 10 to 14. Okay, some states are 10, majority of states are around 12, some states are 10, some states are 14. But in that age of 10 to 14, when a child is even at the age of 10 then, the child has to agree, has to receive those adoptive parents in that situation. There's a two-part situation going on there. And so we saw the same thing happening in these passages. That God redeemed us to his own. God paid the purchase price. God made the payments. 
But at the end, then the, if you would, the governing officials then come to the child and they say what? Do you want to be adopted? Are you willing to go with these people? And so we're told that, that God gave the privilege of sonship to as many as who would what? Receive him. To those who would believe on his name. The exciting thing is, and as well in the same breath, the sad thing is, is that God has paid the purchase price, the adoption price, for every single individual on the face of the earth. That God would desire to have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. That God would desire all men to be adopted into his family. And the sad part about it is there are many people who are what? Rejecting it. My father is rich in houses and lands. He holdeth the whole earth and the world in his hands. My, my, my father owns everything. You know, and it, it's, it's so nuts, though, because if somebody in the earth had a, a, a physical opportunity to be adopted by a millionaire or a billionaire or whatever, how many of them do you think would accept that? Huh? All of them. Because they're looking at what? Temporal, worldly things. But my father, my Abba, owns everything, not only that billionaire has, but that every billionaire in this world has. He owns the planets. He owns the stars. He owns the constellations, the galaxies. It's a phenomenal thing. And whatever I need will always be at my disposal because of my Father's great love and faithfulness toward me. But how many times we would rather have and be adopted by ones who own temporal things rather than he who owns it all. And so, this process of sonship, have you received it? Have you accepted what God has done for you? Or have you rejected and said, no, no, I'll, I'll wait for another. Thank you very much. The evidence of sonship is really a lot of what we want to talk about today, which is very exciting. And if you are his child your life will bear witness to it. There is something about being a child of the king that will become demonstrative to those around you. And first of all, we're told that if we are a child of the king, if we are a son of the Most High God, and our testimony gives witness to it, then we are going to be led by the Spirit of God. That as I live my life, it will be evidence to others that the Spirit of God is leading me. And you say, now, how does that become evident? Well, the reason we read verses 18, or beginning of verse 8 to 7, 17, is that there are seven conditional statements. Did you see them as we went through this? Before, it talks about that we, we, are, we were um, adopted not to the spirit of bondage, but to the spirit, the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. There are seven conditional statements. Verse 8, if you are in the flesh... 
then you cannot please God. Okay? Paul, this whole book of Romans is a very logical progression. And so I love when you have passages like this because this is just nothing other than an if-then statement, right? It's computer terminology, okay? Okay? And so we know that in computer terminology, if you're doing a flow chart, okay, and you go into the if-then box, what happens? You go into this little box, you see a condition. If the condition is true, you're allowed to pass through, right? So this is what this is. If you are in the flesh, then you cannot please God. So how much of being in the flesh can you be in and please God? Zero. Do I live that way? Do I act like that? Hmm. If you're in the flesh, you're not pleasing God. These are good things to memorize, okay? It may not be how the scripture states it this way, but these are good, good statements to, to, to have in your, in your brain. If the Spirit of God dwells in you, then what? You're not in the flesh. Now, wait a second. Let's go back to number one. If you're in the flesh, you're not pleasing God. Number two says what? If the Spirit of God's in you, then what? You're in the Spirit, you're not in the flesh. Now these are definitive statements, so why do I act like I'm in the flesh? Galatians chapter 5, This I say, therefore, if you, if you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so you cannot do the things that you would. No, that's uh, it's Galatians 5 that I quoted. But Romans 7 says the same stuff. That's exactly right. There's a war that goes on within me. And so the point is, though, I make the decision of whether I'm going to walk according to what? The Spirit of God. The Spirit of God dwells in me, so therefore I'm not in the flesh. I don't have to walk in the flesh. And so Romans 6 then says, Do you not know that you offer, to who you offer yourself as a slave to obey, you are the one slave to whom you obey, whether of sin leading unto death or of obedience leading unto righteousness? In other words, you make the choice of who you're going to serve. You make the choice of the way you're going to walk. But if you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, and the Spirit of God dwells within you, which we're going to see in a moment as well, then you're not in the flesh. You're not in the flesh. Positionally, the old man has been eradicated. Positionally. That's exactly right. We just have to apply it practically. As well in verse 9. If an individual does not have the Spirit of Christ, then that individual is not Christ's. You say, well, that should be a no-brainer. It should be a no-brainer. But we don't act that way sometimes in a lot of churches. You know, it doesn't really matter. You know, we just kind of blend. No. If the Spirit of God does not live in you, you're not His. Period. If you are in Christ, then the body is dead. Bring that back up to verse eight, beginning of verse 9, right? If the Spirit of God is in you, if you are in Christ, then your body is dead, the flesh is dead, therefore you shouldn't be walking in the flesh. That's why you're displeasing to God. I mean, think about it. If my kids don't act like Corbin's, you say, what's a Corbin act like? Sometimes it's not very good. Anyways, but then they're displeasing to me. Do you understand? There's a standard that Marcia and I have for our, for our children. You may not agree with our standards. It doesn't really matter. But we have our standards. And for us, we want our kids to be able to walk in those standards. Now, hopefully the standards are based upon biblical um, convictions. 
in, in, in biblical, biblical truths. Okay, and I say hopefully, because from our perspective, we, we believe they are, but we, that's always debatable, right? People say, what do you mean hopefully? You should know. Uh, sometimes you can come in so arrogant in your, this is what it says. So, um, but the fact is, it's the same thing with, with Christ and with God. If we are his, then we ought to live like what? We're, we're his. If the spirit of God dwells in you, then God will give life to your mortal body through his spirit. Hmm. Where does life come from? It comes from God. And so if you're his, if the spirit of God dwells in you, then he will give life to your mortal body. Number six, from verse 12. If you live according to the flesh, then you will die. The wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life. Now, I understand that's positional, but I also declare that it's practical. That's that. And I understand that, that generally speaking, that somebody can live a righteous life and they still can die early. Okay? I understand that. However, apart from calamity, okay, the reality is if you live according to God's truths, you will live longer than if you live according to the sin, sin nature. Because to live according to the sin nature is to live according to the laws and decrees of Satan. And we know that Satan is called the what? Destroyer. And he wants to destroy. And so, if you give yourself wholly over to the licentious pleasures of this life, you will die in early age. But if you live according to the decrees, the statutes, the testimonies of God, you will live to a ripe old age. Now, understand that that's barring the calamities, the catastrophic deaths, okay? But assuming normal lifestyle or normal living, okay? Then that, that holds true. It's a fact. Finally, if you, by the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the body, then you will live. Now, go back to what we were talking about. The testimony of our lives, we are led by the Spirit of God. How I live in the world then gives testimony to whose child I am. Am I a child of the devil, living after the licentious things of this world that are leading unto death and destruction? Or am I a child of the king, applying myself to the truths of God's word that are bringing life, justice, and righteousness to my life and to this world. And whether you know it or not, it is evident in your life. And others see it. And so James says, be not deceived, or be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your self. Deceiving your own self. You're not deceiving anybody else. You're only deceiving yourself. And nobody else is deceiving you. You're deceiving yourself. Does that make sense? In other words, you think, I got it over on everybody. Everybody's looking at you and everybody's saying, no, dude, it's not that way. And you can turn around and say, well, the devil made me do it, but it's not the devil who made you do it. You, you were drawn away of your own lust. You're deceiving your own self. For he says, for if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at himself in the mirror, 
He looks himself in the glass, in the mirror. He looks at himself and goes his way, and straightway he forgets what manner of man he was. But whoso looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues therein, being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the word, this man shall be blessed in his deeds. And then he goes on to say that faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. And so, if you are a child of God, if he is really your father, not that you just call him father, and that you don't know him as father, okay? But if he's really your father, if God is really your Abba, if he's really your daddy, then ultimately your life is going to reflect it. Because when Christ comes into your life, and the Spirit of God comes into your life, then the works of the flesh eventually and continuously are eradicated. And you will walk according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh. And so you have to ask yourself, are you walking according to the flesh, or are you walking according to the Spirit? The testimony of our lives, not only are we going to be led by the Spirit, but we're going to be crying out, Abba, Father. Now, I think this is really neat, um, two sides here. First of all, we see the description of our cry. I'm going to talk about the description of our cry because this word for cry is, is a halloo. Now, honestly, I've never heard of the word halloo before this past week. Okay? But the halloo is, is, is what they would use to, um, like, um, to catch someone's attention to urge on. And so they would, they would halloo when they were doing the, the fox hunts and stuff like that. They would halloo. You know, they would cry out to, to, to get things going, you know, and stuff like that. And so it's, it's that kind of a concept. It's to, to get somebody's attention or to urge something on. And this word for cry here is the same word. It's, it's a, it's, and so a synonym of it, okay, both in the Hebrew and the Greek here, because we're going to look at it because these are tied together. This is really kind of fun. Is another word which means to shriek, okay, or just a ah! kind of idea. This word doesn't necessarily mean that, but it, it's a close synonym of it. So it kind of has it together because the idea is when you, ah, you're doing what? You're getting somebody's attention. That's exactly right. So the idea is that, that, it, it's, that you want to be heard. You want to be noticed. And so this halloo is, is, is going on because you, you, you want to urge them on. You want to gain somebody's attention. And so this is really kind of cool. And so I want to look at some of these passages, okay? In Exodus chapter 2, turn back there with me. Exodus chapter 2, where we see in the Hebrew version of this word, verse 23. Now it happened in the process of time that the king of Egypt died. Then the children of Israel groaned because of the bondage, and they hallooed. They hallooed. They cried out, and their halloo came up to God because of the bondage. They were crying out to God. They were seeking God's attention. And so it wasn't just an, an internal cry. Now, this is what's the important point here, okay? This isn't just an internal, like, I'm, I'm crying out right now. Can you tell? Okay? This is an emotional plea. This is, this is people crying out to God. God, save us! Don't you see what's going on? Lord, we need your deliverance. These are people who are emotionally involved. 1 Samuel chapter 5. Turn to 1 Samuel 5. 
And I was talking um, to the men yesterday, um, I believe from a passage in, um, it wasn't Micah, where was I at yesterday? I'll be with you, my brain just needs to kick in gear here. Was it Amos? It was Amos 6, Amos 6. And how much that we are so complacent about um, just life and we're not grieved over the sin that's in our world and, and the, the situation of the church throughout the, the, the world. And we ought to be hallooing before God in the, in the same way. But 1 Samuel 5, verse 12, um, it says, And the men who did not die were stricken with tumors, and the cry of the city went up to heaven. Well, who, is, who are these people? Go back into context here. Who are these people that are hallooing? These are Philistines. And, and, and what was happening right now? During the, they had the ark. The ark of who? The, of Yahweh. That's right, the true God. Okay, They had the ark of the covenant of the true God in their midst. In every place they sent it, right, people would start having tumors and they'd start to die. Okay, And so these Philistines begin to what? Cry out. To where? To heaven. I mean, they're crying out to Yahweh here. They're not crying out to their own God. They're crying out. They've got to get rid of this thing, right? And so they don't become believers. This is really, isn't this amazing sometimes how people can do this? I mean, and you, you, you know, some of you are looking at me like, huh? I'll give you a case in point. I'm old enough, some of you are old enough to remember this. Some of you are too young, you won't remember this. But the original George Bush, the, the, the George Bush part one, you know, um, he was George... H. Bush, George H. Bush, George H. Bush. Anyways, and when we first went into for Desert Storm, okay, he got on the national television, right? And what did he do? He appealed for people to hallow God, to cry out to God, to, to pray for, for God to give us. After we went in, and it was just like, and if Devin, I wish Devin was here today, because Devin would tell you, Devin was one of the ones who were, who were dropped in on the, um, the, the helicopters into the Euphrates Valley, okay, um, and found minimum resistance. Okay, so he was there, and we have others that were there. And um, anyways, the point is, there was no, no resistance, walked right in to Baghdad, okay? It was an amazing thing. Do you remember when George Bush got on the, on the, on the national TV and, and then asked everybody to thank God? I bet you don't remember that, do you? Didn't happen. Did not happen. And we look and we go, Philistines? How about we look at them and we go, Americans? Well, they went and they cried out to heaven, to, to heaven, because God, because Yahweh was considered the God of the heavens and the earth. In, in other words, they had the Lord of the flies and, 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 and all that kind of stuff. So, um, right, they would they would have been crying out to Dagon. They would have been crying out. To, well, it was, it was, it was, well, it was a joke. That's what they called Jesus. That, that's, that, that was the thing. They had Beelzebub, but, but the Jews called him Beelzebul, which was Lord of the Flies. Yeah, it's awesome. So you wonder where Lord of the Flies comes from. It's, it was Satan, yeah. Anyways. Um, but, what? It is. That's what it's all about. And it's the, it's the pig's head with the flies going around it. Mm-hmm. It's Satan. Um, yeah, it's amazing how much theology is really in all these books out there that we don't think about. We give our kids when they're younger and we teach them theology. It's an amazing thing. Um, but anyways, but these Philistines, I think so. I think they're, they're crying out. I don't think they know God. Do you understand? 
like, I don't think many Americans know God. But they know a concept of what? God. And, and so clearly, the, the Jewish God is what? It's beating them up. Okay? Dagon is, is, is being castrated, if you would. You know, his, his hands are cut off. His head's being cut off. He has no power to, to this Jewish God. And so instead of getting rid of Baals, getting rid of Dagon, and converting over to Yahweh, the true God, do they do that? No. Like America doesn't do that either. You know? But in a moment of crisis, what do we do? We halloo God. We halloo to God. We cry out to God. God, save us! You know? But then we go on our way. So this is the concept of halloo. Go to 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel 22. Verse 7, but we'll look at verse 6 for the context. When Saul heard that David and the men who were with him had been discovered, now Saul was staying in Gibeah under a timorous tree in Ramah with his spear in his hand and all his servants standing about him. Then Saul said to his servants who stood about him, Oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm in first. I'm reading the wrong thing. No, it's 2 Samuel. Thank you. I was thinking this is not what I read earlier. 2 Samuel 22. Thank you so much. 22, verse 7. Thank you. Here we go. In my distress, I what? I called on the Lord, and I hallooed. I cried out to my God, and he heard my voice from the temple, and my halloo entered his ears. Okay? God promises that he will hear the halloo, the cry of the righteous. When you're out and about, and your child is a distance away, and your child cries out, it is amazing how your antennas can go. Kids are, I mean, you got a bunch of kids all on a playground, and they're all screaming and crying and doing this, and you know what I'm saying, and you're not going to react to every single cry, right? I mean, you couldn't do that. But all of a sudden, you hear a certain cry, and you know what? That's my kid. That's mine. That's my Abba. That's my daddy. Think about the, the uh, conundrum of noise that goes up from this earth all the time. And then one of his cries out. And what do you think happens? You got his full attention. Now, I understand there may be a billion people at that moment having his full attention, okay? But you got his, he's able to do that. That's exactly right. Isn't that awesome? I, I just, it's so phenomenal to me. The one who created the whole heavens and the earth, the entire universe, who's beyond it. The earth is but his footstool. And I cry out in my distress, in my pain, in my ignorance in my need, in my failure. And he hears me. My cry will come to his ear. Turn to, um, we'll skip the passages in Psalms there. You have all those on your sermon note sheets. Turn to Jonah 2. What a phenomenal um, I mean, chapter 2 of Jonah is just utterly incredible. I mean, I don't know if you've ever Stop to ponder. I mean, not necessarily all of his, his, his writing there, but just the whole concept of what's happening in chapter 2. 
Because in chapter 2, he's, he's where? He's in the belly of the fish, of the whale, right? He is, he's in the midst of what? Sheol, hell, in a sense, okay, almost literally. But in the midst of his punishment. I mean, he is, he is being spanked like you've never been spanked in your life by God. I mean, when was the last time that you got thrown into, a, into the lake or into the sea or into the ocean and a big fish swallows you? You know, think about it, you know. You know, we, we kind of go on our merry way sometimes thinking like, oh, I guess this one doesn't really matter to God, you know. Sometimes it would be nice. No, it wouldn't be nice. Anyways, but, um, you know, anyways, that if there was a, a way that you really knew that God was what? Displeased with you, right? Because you're walking in the flesh and so he's not pleased. And so that you literally, that all of a sudden you, uh, it was like um, Belshazzar with the, the hand coming and writing on the wall, that all of a sudden you did something and all, all of a sudden in the, the thin air you saw this, this uh, paddle you know, coming you know, in, in the middle of nowhere, and this paddle is coming after you. It's kind of like you ever play Mario Kart. The kid's got Mario Kart. Somebody let him borrow it. And anyways, as you're playing Mario Kart, all of a sudden you see this, this thing flashing. Is it just below you when it's getting ready to hit you? You know, somebody's got the special thing or whatever, and you're getting ready to be nailed. And so, you know, it wouldn't be neat if you kind of had that in life, and all of a sudden you, you're kind of going along, and all of a sudden you get this thing in the middle, and you're like, ooh. You know, and you know you're getting ready to be spanked, you know, by God. Or, or yeah. Yeah, well, they have a bird that when you go across the finish line, or it lets you know, second lap, final lap. But, yes, that you would have the little sign comes down and, 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 God, and says, God is not pleased. <laughs> hmm. You know? And you, you are now in timeout, buddy. That's right. And on your head is a dunce cap, and you cannot get rid of it, you know? Whatever. And, but, you know, the thing, Israel, in the... As they went through the wilderness, they had what? They had the pillar of fire by night and the pillar of cloud by day. And it didn't do them any good. And they, right, and they got used to it. They did. And so we would do the same thing. But anyways, but in Jonah 2, we, we read in verse 2, uh, beginning verse 1, it says, Then Jonah prayed to Yahweh from the God, to his God from the fish's belly, and he said, I what? I cried out. I hallooed to Yahweh because of my affliction, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I hallooed. I cried. And you heard my voice, even when Jonah was in sin. When he was walking in unfaithfulness, he cried out. Now, why do you think he cried out? He's re- he didn't have any other choice, yes. But I think he becomes repentant. As you, as you read through this, you realize he is humbled. He realizes who he is and who God is. And though he doesn't yet still like going to, to Nineveh, he submits. And God hears the prayer of the, his righteous. Okay? Even when we were in the midst of sin. When we are what? Repenting. Humbled. That's exactly right. When we're humbled and repentant, God hears. You can read the rest of those. There's so many of them that I want to be able to show you there in the book of the New Testament as well. Um, but for the sake of time, I, I have them all there. You can see there's just tons and there was tons more. But... So the description of our cry. This is the cry out of Abba Father that, that comes out from, our, from, from deep within us that just cries out, Abba, Father. But it's not going to come out if you honestly don't know him and you don't know him as, as your father. It's not going to happen. The direction of our cry is to God. The direction of our cry is to him as, as our Abba. Jesus, in Mark 14, turn with me there, 
In Mark 14, we read of Jesus crying out in the garden. The night in which He was betrayed, as He was praying and as He was um, looking toward the cross, beginning at verse 32 of Mark 14, we read, Then they came to a place which was named Gethsemane, Gethsemane, and He said to His disciples, Sit here while I pray. And He took Peter, James, and John with Him, and he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. And he went a little farther and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. How do you think he was praying? Do you think it was just kind of... I think he was hallooing. I, I, think, I, think, right, I, I think he was very emotional in his prayer. Um, and he was crying out to God. And he said, Abba, Father... All things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. So even in the midst of this this crying out to God, he wasn't seeking his own way. Do you get it? He was seeking strength. He wanted God's, he wanted the Father's will. In the flesh, there was great pain. But basically, it's just help me get through this process. If there's any way that this could be removed, well, I'll be awesome. However, what I really want is your will to be done. So give me strength to keep marching on. When you are in desperate times, when you are um, discouraged, when you are in pain, when you are in need of wisdom, where or to who do you halloo? Where do you turn? Who do you cry out to? What do you cry out to? Is it the internet? I mean, the internet's got everything. It's got all knowledge, right? I mean, I think it's Daniel 12, man, where it talks about information will abound. I think that's the internet. I mean, I really do. I mean, it's amazing to me. Just go to Wiki. Wiki's got it. Wiki it. You know, that's right. I mean, let's, let's find out. What, what's God's will for this? We'll Wiki it. Let's put it on Google. You know, God's will for whatever. You laugh, but, but honestly, it's happening. People are turning to the Internet for, for answers rather than turning to God. Now, I'm not saying that God won't use the Internet or some other source. To, to assist in giving wisdom. Do you understand? But your first inclination, where do you go for assistance? Do you go to daddy? Do you go to your father? I think it's pretty cool when my kids bring me stuff to fix. <laughs> I don't know why they bring it to me. <laughs> Wrong person to bring it to. But it's still pretty cool. Because when they're younger, now I understand the older ones, they, they figured it out. But anyways, but... But the, the younger ones still bring stuff to me, right? Why? Because dads can do anything. Dads can fix anything. Dads can fix anything. I mean, so, you know, Anna gets the bump on her head or on her finger or on her elbow on her whatever, and she does what? Can you come kiss us? <laughs> a little kiss makes it better. Wouldn't it be nice if, if, even as an adult, I mean, you really hurt yourself, you got a nail through your foot or whatever, and, 
and, and you can turn around and say, can you kiss this for me? I mean, no, I could see Ben when I did that. <laughs> hanging, hanging up, Ben saying, hanging up, man, I kissed your foot. <laughs> but if, if, if really, if, on, if it really worked, wouldn't it be really cool? You know? It doesn't work like that. But to a child, by faith, it does. And Jesus said we have to be like children. And we come by faith to our Abba, to our Father. And we cry out to him, knowing that he, as the perfect Father, can fix anything. He has all ability and all power. The testimony of the Holy Spirit. Um, description of our cry, direction of our cry. And then we have the testimony of the Holy Spirit that's in our life as well. You know, how do we know the evidence of our sonship is the testimony of the Holy Spirit? In 1 John chapter 2, let's turn back to 1 John. We have a couple passages there we want to look at with the Holy Spirit ministry in our life. But in 1 John chapter 2, beginning at verse 20, we read, But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. Now, isn't that an interesting thing? You have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who, he who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Drop down to chapter 3, verse 23. And this is the commandment that we, that we should believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he has commanded us. Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. And he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given to us. Chapter 4, verse 13. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given to us of his Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Drop down to chapter 5, verse 6. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not only by water, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who bears witness because the Spirit is truth. Now, I understand in some of your versions you're not going to have verse 7, okay? but in mine it's there. For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. And there are three that bear witness on earth, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three, three agree as one. If we, re, if we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater, for this is the witness of God, which he has testified to his Son. He, has, he who believes in the Son of God has a witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed the testimony that God has given his Son. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and his life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life, and he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you, who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Now, I read all those portions together, okay? because all those portions are dealing with the same thing, and that is the ministry of the Spirit in our life, giving, bearing witness and testimony in our lives that we are of Christ, okay? that we are of God. What is the testimony that the Spirit is going to give to us that we know that we're the sons of God? In those passages, we just read those four or five coming through 1 John. What did it say? What was the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our life that, that's going to let you know that you know Jesus Christ as your Savior. That you are a child of God. That you're a son of God. Hmm. Got to go back and read them now. What does it say? I'm not helping you out. Okay, he's given us eternal life. How, how do you know? 
How do you know he's giving you eternal life? Okay, he was a son his life. That's a true statement. Okay, but what's going to, what's going to be declared by you? Ah, you're going to confess him? Go ahead. Except Jesus Christ is your Savior, but he doesn't say that necessarily. It's the confession part that we're going. Because that confession is that... That's exactly right. The confession that Jesus Christ came from the Father was in the flesh. That he is God in the flesh. That is what, when you declare that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, that there is the Father and the Son, that there is the deity of Christ. Okay? You read them again, okay? If you cannot state that, then you're not His. If you can proclaim it, then you're His. Because the testimony, because Paul says to the Corinthians that nobody can declare Him Yahweh, can declare Him Lord, except by God. You're not going to declare that Jesus Christ is God, unless you're His. Think about it. You look out to the rest of the world. What are they going to say about Jesus? He's a good man, he's a good teacher, he's a prophet, he's this, he's that, and he's, he's, he's a created being. But they're not going to declare that he's God. Jesus said in John chapter 8, you go check me out, he says, unless you believe that I am, and that he is in a title size, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Jesus says, unless you believe that I'm Yahweh, unless you believe that I'm God, you're going to die in your sins. The testimony of the Holy Spirit that cries out within you is that who Jesus is. That's why Jesus says that about the, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is the, is the unforgivable sin. He says you can blaspheme God and be forgiven for it. But if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, it's gone. Because it's the ministry of the Holy Spirit that leaves you to the testimony that Jesus Christ is God. That's why Jesus said, well, it's profitable for you for me to leave. Because if I go, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And what's the Holy Spirit's job? To convict you of righteousness, judgment, and sin, but to lead you into all truth and to point you to who? To Christ. And what about him? That he's God. And Jesus' job was to point you to who? The Father. Isn't it pretty cool? And so, if you, in you, you can declare that you know that Jesus is God. There's a good indication that you're probably His. That's a testimony of the Holy Spirit. Now, you may be struggling with the flesh and the spirit thing. Remember when we talked about that before, okay? All those if-then statements. And you may be displeasing your Father. But the Holy Spirit's bearing witness within you that He's doing a work. And He who began the good work in you will what? Will perform it to the day of Jesus Christ. Will perform it to the end. Finally, the benefit of sonship. Well, just as in any family, and if, you, if I adopt you into my home, I am making a, a, a commitment to do what for you? To provide for you. That's exactly right. And God, God will provide for you in the same manner. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 31 to 33, let me just read it to you. It says, therefore do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will what? So why are you worried about what you're going to wear? Why are you worried about what you're going to eat? Why are you worried about where you're going to live? Because you're not seeking him. 
You're seeking the things of the world. That's what we're talking about Sunday school. If you weren't here for Sunday school, shame on you. You should be here. There's a lot of learning, a lot of good stuff. And, but the fact is we're talking about the idolatry thing again and how, we, we, how Israel was turned away from God and how was, we as Christians turn away from God. And, and we seek after other idols. We seek after other things. And, and for us today in America, a lot of that is materialism. We're worshiping things rather than God. And God says, listen, I'll provide this for you. I'm, I'm, I'm your dad. I'm your Abba. I'm your daddy. I know what you need. You may not always get what you want, but I always provide you what you need. And too many times we're looking at our wants and not looking at our needs, and we're spending the stuff that he gave us to meet our needs on our wants, and then we're crying out we don't have what we have a need for. And he says, I gave you that. You just wasted it. You're like the the, the prodigal son who took the, the inheritance and went and squandered it in the, in, the, um, in the pagan places, and then cried out saying what? No, I don't have anything. God will also discipline his own. God will also discipline his own. Hebrews chapter 12. We're told that if we walk in sin, if we walk in rebellion to God, and we are his child, then God will chastise us. He will, if you would, bring that, that, that paddle out of the blue, okay, and he'll, and he'll spank us. If he doesn't, if God does not chastise you, you're not his child. That's what he says. Hebrews 12, read it. It says that you are illegitimate. You're not his child. Because if you're his and you're walking in rebellion, he will discipline you. Even to the point of taking you out of this world, it has to. Now, isn't that something to think about? And so last week when we took communion, last week, two weeks ago, when we took communion, I read from 1 Corinthians 11 and, and talked about the, the challenge to us about judging ourselves so we would not be judged. And that some were eating and drinking of the body and blood of Christ in an unworthy manner. And for that reason, some were sick and some were even dying. And we don't like to think about those parts. But my father loves me. My father loves me too much to allow me to walk in the decadence of this world. So, what about you? Who is God to you? If you're walking down the street and someone asks you that question, who is God to you? Is he your dad? Is he your your father? That word Abba is the Aramaic word. The Hebrew word is Av. And then it goes to Ave um, in the Aramaic. And the Hebrew children used it as a term of endearment when they were little. And then it kind of grew to be a, just a term of endearment for their dad. Father is, is stoic. It can be endearment as well. But Ave became um, one that the little children would use. You know, like a lot of times your kids, when they, when they Papa, Daddy, Dada, Mama, you know, but how many of your kids, when they grow older, call you dad, dad, or mama? You know, mom, mother, father, you know, it's dad, daddy. Is that who God is to you? He wants to be. 
That's why he has a relationship with you. Do you know him as your Abba? This is Father's Day. It seems to me to be a great day to reflect upon my relationship and your relationship to God. Today we will honor earthly fathers. Wouldn't it be an awesome day to renew ourselves to begin to honor our Heavenly Father? Do you have an inheritance waiting for you in God's house? That's the, one of the great benefits of, of being a son. You have inheritance waiting for you. You are a child of the, the king. And whether it is a room in his mansion or whether it is a mansion on your own, you know, people, I, I love the debates on that, you know. And I think this, this really doesn't matter. The point is I'm going to be what? I'm going to be with him. I'm going to, pray. I'm going to, I'm going to be with my, my God, my, the, my Father. This is so awesome. Do you have that promise? Do you know that to be true for you? Let's turn in.